Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to the Missing and Unexplained podcast. I launched the Patreon page about a week ago, so thank you to those who have already subscribed. If you do subscribe, you'll get early access to content as well as exclusive content, and you'll get a monthly update on what I'm working on. And the best part about Patreon is you can support the podcast by subscribing for as little as $3 a month. Also, the podcast has a sleek new website, which you can check out at themissingpod.com. Today, I have Andrea Lankford on the show, who is a former National Park Service ranger who wrote a book about her experiences titled Ranger Confidential. It's a great book, and I highly encourage all of you to go check it out. Andrea is also an advocate to missing persons. She helps run a website called Missing from the Pacific Crest Trail and is currently working on a book about missing hikers on the PCT. Here's my conversation with Andrea. Thanks for uh, coming on the show today, Andrea. I really appreciate it. Yeah, glad to be here, Tyler. I've been reading Ranger Confidential, and uh, it's a really, really great read. And one of the things that keeps coming up, well, one of the many things that keeps coming up in the book are these incredible situations you and other park rangers uh, find yourself in. And I'm wondering, I wanted to start the show with an anecdote from you about one of the most memorable experiences you had being a park ranger. Um, You know, something that you look back and maybe go, wow, that was really scary or really intense, um, just to kind of set the uh, the scene and the tone for the show. Yeah, uh, you know, I try to think back on all those experiences, and it actually it's a little bit exhausting to try to pick the scariest one because there were so many. And then at the time when you're experiencing it, you're not thinking it's scary. You're just trying to solve the problem. But one story in the book that is really a ranger's worst nightmare is when a young woman fell off the rim of the Grand Canyon, and she's clinging for her life on a rocky ledge. And the rangers, my friends, they're trying to get down to save her. It's at night. It's dark. She's screaming. She's frightened. And they try to get down to her. They risk their life. But she falls before they can reach her. 
and then I come in later and I recover her body. And that was, she was a local. She worked there with the concession. So that was a very hard one for us both because uh, it was so scary and also emotionally. I, I can't even imagine. How do you, how did you compartmentalize that when you were doing a job? I mean, like you just said, you kind of have to put aside that fear or the intensity and do your job. I mean, what, what, was there something that worked for you? How were you able to cope with that? When I was young, when I was a ranger, I was in my 20s and 30s, and we we tend to use a lot of tombstone humor. You do compartmentalizing it often. Uh, we drank too much and partied too much, sometimes after the fact. More immature ways to cope often. You know, now that I'm older, I'm a nurse now, I'm more accustomed to being present with uh, tragedy and being emotionally present for people when that's happening. But when I was younger, you, you definitely distance yourself. Yeah, I, I bet. And I don't want to um, talk all doom and gloom today, although we're, we are talking about a lot of somber subjects. But I'm wondering, can you tell me um, overall, I mean, it must have been pretty amazing to be a park ranger and to experience everything you know that you got to experience in some of the most pristine outdoors in North America. I'm wondering, can you tell me when you look back, like, what, what do you what do you think about? You must catch yourself smiling and think, wow, that was that was a really amazing job at times. Yes, they say rangers are paid in sunsets often, and living in a national park when you're a young, outdoorsy person, and the camaraderie, you're also with other young, outdoorsy people, it, it's the best. And so thinking about my ranger friends, thinking about the beautiful scenery I got to see every day, that always brings a warm feeling. It seems like you probably have little time for sleep given everything that you do from the writing to, you know, previously being a park ranger, now a nurse. Um, and you've also achieved um, quite a bit when it comes to uh, the outdoors. Um, I don't want to, you know, at the beginning, I'm going to give a bit of a bio, but I'm wondering, can you tell me about some of the uh, major accomplishments you've achieved um, through some of the uh, the outdoor activities you've done? Yeah, when I left the National Park Service, I wanted to uh, rejuvenate my love for the great outdoors. So one of the first things I did is I did a complete through hike of the Appalachian Trail. I have cycled from Fairbanks, Alaska to the Arctic Ocean. I was the first to mountain bike the length of the Arizona Trail. I also kayaked from Miami to Key West. Those are some of my biggest accomplishments. Out of all of those uh, really impressive accomplishments, uh, is there one that was more trying than all the others, or were they all maybe a little different, uh, given that, you know, different climates, different activities? But, uh, yeah, I'm wondering, is there is there one that really stands out to you? That's a good question. You know, maybe being the first to mountain bike the Arizona Trail, because there wasn't a defined route for bike packers. That's a uh, through biker so to say, instead of a through hiker. And so that was also a new activity back then. There wasn't as many people doing it. So maybe I'd have to say that was the most challenging, both probably physically, um, really wore us out. It was me and another woman, Beth Overton, who did it together. I wanted to ask you, because I read this somewhere, and I can't recall if it was in the book or if it was on your website, but I read somewhere that you actually fractured your fibula and survived three days in the outdoors. I'm wondering, can you tell me about how that happened and like what that was like? I, I just can't imagine going through that myself. That happened while I was researching my next book, 
about the missing on the Pacific Crest Trail. And so I was following a lead on the David O'Sullivan case down in Southern California on San Jacinto Mountain. I knew the lead was bogus. I'll go into that in my book. But the family and other people were just really concerned that he was at this location. Well, this location was deep in the backcountry on a mountaineer route that barely anybody ever walks. It's There's no trail, really. It's a route. And San Jacinto Mountain is cursed by a demon, of course. Um, so I go up there, and I'm alone, going to go up there for three days to get to these GPS coordinates to rule out these leads. And I just happened to step on two little rocks that conspired, and I tripped and my ankle landed on another rock, and that was just enough to fracture my fibula. That was the next few hours were probably one of the scariest hours I've had in the wilderness because it's desert there, and I knew if I didn't reach water, I could potentially die. No cell service. So I hobbled and limped and crawled my way to the water source, and once I got to the water source, I felt better. I spent uh, three nights out there alone, and then hiked partly out alone. And then John King, who lives and works there at San Jacinto Mountain, he helped me get down the rest of the way. Then later, when I returned home, I finally got an x-ray, and sure enough, my ankle was fractured, and I had to have two surgeries to fix it. Wow. Uh, That's really, really intense. I I guess it's kind of a silver lining that you had the experience of being a ranger and and having so much familiarity with the outdoors that otherwise it might have not turned out so well for you. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that's possible. If I hadn't, if if somebody in my situation didn't get to water, that could be potentially fatal. It was a very treacherous area. They probably would have had to short haul me out. That's using a long line under the helicopter. I did not want to be rescued. I was very stubborn. I wanted to get out on my own. Um, And it was hard to call out. But I did the right thing in that Kathy Tarr, I believe you're going to interview her or you have. She's going to appear in one of your podcasts. She knew where I was and when I needed to be, was expected to be out. And so I had somebody who was, you know, watching for me and and I was able to text her. I was able to reach a location and text her, and she coordinated you know, getting John King to come out and help me. Wow, I had no idea that Kathy was a part of that. Um, that's incredible. You mentioned that um, you know you had this accident while researching for your next book, which I want to talk about in a little bit. Um, but I'm wondering, let's take a step back. Um, you also run a uh, blog about missing hikers on the Pacific Crest Trail, and I'm wondering, in general, um, you know, how did you get involved with missing persons on on the Pacific Crest Trail? Was that something that um, you know through being a ranger that inspired you to to, uh, to advocate for that, or was it something else? Yes and no. Uh, I, as a ranger, I worked many uh, missing hikers, overdue hiker cases. Most overdue hiker cases are resolved within 48 hours. Most of them are found. Uh, I did have some cases where the person wasn't found right away. And so that's always sticks in my mind when I work a case and the person wasn't found by us uh, as kind of a failure. It haunts me a little bit. Then later I was uh, tagged to help a documentary crew do a show about missing hikers, and that's how I learned about the Chris Sylvia case. He's the first PCT through hiker to go missing that's still missing. And that case 
we considered that for the documentary. It didn't happen, and I just couldn't forget about it. So I started to research that case, and I asked the family if, for their blessing to investigate the case, and they gave me their blessing. And that's what jump-started me or initiated me into the three hikers who are missing on the Pacific Crest Trail. And we talked about this, um, you know, when we spoke before, uh, that your book is focused. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. From what I understand, your next book that isn't out yet, um, that is coming out, is around these three hikers, uh, Chris, David, and this other one you were just talking about. I'm wondering, can you tell me um, a little bit about why you took that approach? Uh, I mean, is it because those three cases are the most um, famous, or is it just because there isn't that many um, missing persons on the trail to look at? I- I'm just curious, you know, why you chose those three cases, and maybe what your approach has been like writing that, writing those three cases, and writing the book. Yeah. So I started looking into the Chris Sylvia case. I thought I could maybe solve it because his gear was found on the trail. And any good investigator is going to look for connections and history, you know, what happens to other hikers on the trail. And I, from that, I learned about Chris Fowler. And I learned about Kathy Tarr, how she was searching for Chris Fowler, and then she was going to come down to San Jacinto and search for David O'Sullivan. So these are your, I call them the PCT missing. You got Chris Sylvia, who disappeared in February 15, Chris Fowler, who disappeared in in October 2016, and David O'Sullivan in April 2017. So I learned you had three young men one each year, three years in a row, all through hiking the Pacific Crest Trail. They vanished, and nobody can find them. So that is just sort of a step-by-step process. I got deeper and deeper into investigating all three of those cases and meeting other people who were also trying to find them and solve this mystery. 
uh, I have a series about Chris Fowler coming out um, pretty soon, but I'm wondering, you know, I've looked into David's case a little bit um, as part of the podcast, uh, not much about um, the other Chris. I'm wondering, do you see any similarities? Um, like now that you've researched all three cases very thoroughly, what stands out to you? Are there any patterns or trends emerging um, through your research and your writing? It's, it's like, yes and no, it's sort of all over the place. All three of them were carrying a book and reading a book when they disappeared. Uh, they were all three young white males. Um, they were all three single. Um, their personalities are all different, but they were all drawn to the Pacific Crest Trail to kind of, um, you know, ex- uh, enjoy nature, but also... Um, you know, be a part of a pilgrimage that would maybe help them grow spiritually. Now, the other similarities, then it's just all over the place because they haven't been found. There's so many theories, and some of those theories dovetail with the different hikers, and then some of them don't relate at all. Um, There's just a lot that could have happened to either one of those three. Yeah, and I, um, you know, I would love to go into specifics, but I want to hold on theories and stuff like that until my series about Chris comes out. But I'm wondering, it seems like the, the biggest probability for when someone is doing a hike like the Pacific Crest Trail that is a multi-month um, through hike, uh, there there is a lot of opportunities for things to go wrong. I mean, whether it's the weather, um, an injury, you know, hypothermia. Um, is that, is that something that you're sensing with these missing hikers is that, um, you know, a lot can happen in the outdoors and if you get lost or you find yourself in a bad spot, things can get bad pretty quick? Or is there maybe something more nefarious at play? That's a good question. Now, as a park ranger, I'm very accustomed to, you know, there's about 50 ways you can die out in the wilderness. Uh, and there have been 13 through hikers who have died on the Pacific Crest Trail. Now, on the PCT, none of those were murdered. There was a trail runner named Andy Elam who was murdered on the PCT. uh, I don't have the exact day. I want to say it's 1994. But there's not been a thru-hiker who was murdered on the Pacific Crest Trail. You may be familiar on the Appalachian Trail. That's different. Several thru-hikers have been murdered on the Appalachian Trail. But for some reason, the PCT, the the deaths that we know about, the people we've found, it's mostly by falling, a few by drowning, uh, some exposure. Uh, one guy died because a tree fell on him. Uh, there's a heat stroke. So some those are the common things that a park ranger like me would first go to that what would happen to a hiker who is missing and can't be found. I the get- interesting thing with these Three, though, is that so many, so much resources have been put to finding them, and nobody can. Yeah, and I imagine you, with the experience of, of having been a park ranger and being very familiar with the terrain and the outdoors, gives you a, a, a really good keen sensibility to what may have happened with these men. And it's, it's interesting that you brought up the Appalachian Trail because I, I was just thinking about that because I have heard of those cases where people have been murdered, and I'm wondering 
is there something unique about the Pacific Crest Trail? Like, it, do you see it as being more hazardous than, say, the Appalachian? Or are they just different? Like, I'm wondering, you know, is, is there a bigger danger hiking the Pacific Crest Trail than other through hikes? That's a good question. I, I don't know if I've studied it statistically enough to have a strong opinion there. The Pacific Crest Trail is more isolated than the Appalachian Trail. The Pacific Crest Trail, because in the West, you have to deal with elevation altitude changes. And that is a different thing than what people on the East Coast are accustomed to. So you can be hiking in the desert, for example, in Southern California and get sunburned, lose your hat, you know, have blisters from sunburn, you're, you're dehydrated, and then you're getting ready to go up San Jacinto. You are not ready to go up to above 10,000 feet and have to post, post hole through deep snow because... Your, maybe your mindset isn't ready for how that can change just based on elevation. So that is one thing that stands out to me as a possible problem on the Pacific Crest Trail, especially with new hikers. In your research, and this kind of ties into what you just said about new hikers, um, is inexperience a big factor in a lot of these disappearances? People maybe not being ready for such a tough uh, endeavor like the Pacific Crest Trail. Is that something you've seen? Oddly, not really. I see that a lot of people not ready who get in trouble and get rescued. But with these three, that's not really the case. David O'Sullivan was pretty new, but he was a smart guy, and he had practiced. Chris Fowler was getting ready to finish, so he was an experienced hiker. Chris Sylvia had experience. He hiked uh, a couple of weeks on the Appalachian Trail. I would call him an intermediate backpacker. So these young men, they were not necessarily, uh, David O'Sullivan would be the most novice, but they were, you know, they weren't really foolhardy or foolish, not in that sense. They weren't that naive. I think that's that's really well said because from my research, um, mostly about Chris and David, that seems to be the case. Uh, I've only got a couple questions left here. I wanted to ask before I forget, um, What do you know when your book is, uh, what the title is going to be and when it's going to be out? Is that something you can share with us? Yeah, the title, you know, the publisher will pick the title, and so that's not been picked yet, but it will be about the people searching for the PCT missing. It'll be about the three missing and the people who are trying to find them. Uh, I'm hoping it'll be out summer of uh, 2022. Okay, great. We'll we'll look for it. Um, and anyone listening, check out Ranger Confidential while you're waiting. It's, 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 it's a really... Uh, it's an intense and eye-opening read. Um, before I let you go, I want to talk a bit more about Chris Fowler because, again, my series is going to cover, you know, his story in depth. And I'm wondering, you know, you've spent probably, well, yeah, you've spent more time than me looking into it. And I'm wondering, is there anything about Chris's case in particular that really stands out to you? And I know I didn't really give you this question ahead of time, but I'm curious if, you know, whenever you look into Chris's disappearance, is there something that you keep coming back to that nags at you a little bit? Yes, there is. And with his, it's the sightings. There's several people I've interviewed who believe they saw him. And I've interviewed uh, some of them on the phone. I've met some of them in person. They were all fairly adamant that they saw him. And so they contradict because if this person A saw him at site one, then it's not possible that person B saw him at site three just based on timing. So to me, that's very haunting when someone's looking you in the eye and they said, I saw him. He said his name was Sherpa. 
And so even if only one of those sightings is true, it is very hard to determine where he got into trouble. And that also very much complicates the search for him. Absolutely. Um, that was incredibly well said as well. That's something that um, I'm going to address in my series um, and is a little bit baffling. So, um, Andrea, I want to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, you, The amount of experience you have and the amount of experiences you have had in your lifetime is is uh, is amazing. So thanks for sharing it, some of it with us, and uh, I hope we can chat again soon. Yeah, good luck with your show, Tyler. I'm looking forward to listening to it. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Andrea. You can click the link in the description to purchase her book or check out her website. If you haven't checked out the Patreon page, please do. Your support goes a long way. As always, thanks for listening to the Missing and Unexplained podcast with me, Tyler Hooper. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.